Welcome into the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Fritschner, Rick Broering with you. Xavier sitting at four and three on the season right now. They split their bye games over the last week, beating Bryant 100 to 75. A great offensive display that night from the Musketeers. Good first half defensively, not the best second half defensively. Xavier gave up 25 points in the first half against Bryant. Looked great on the defensive side of the floor, but then gave up 50 points in the second half against Bryant. And that was the takeaway from Sean Miller after the game. Very frustrated that Xavier couldn't put the full 40 minutes of defensive effort together. And then on Monday, laid an egg against Oakland in a game that Oakland really dominated from start to finish. The Golden Grizzlies led for over a half hour in that game. It wasn't like Xavier was winning by 15 or 20 points and then choked it away down the stretch. Xavier's biggest lead against Oakland was three. It was a game that, like I said, Oakland came out. They came out strong. They played very well throughout the entire game, had the lead, and finished it off. Xavier had to lead 69-66 to at the under-four media timeout. But from there, Oakland went on a 12 to seven run to end the game. Xavier actually, for as poorly as it felt like Xavier played defensively to even put themselves in that position to be losing that game, Musketeers did have a shot at the buzzer from just beyond half court. Dalen Swain had a chance after Oakland missed two free throws. It went right off the rim. Musketeers were eight or 10 inches away from being saved on the night from a a miracle heave, but uh, it didn't fall And Rick, I went back and listened to our last show, and you and I talked a lot about Xavier's upcoming schedule and what we thought Xavier's record would look like going into conference play. We thought that eight wins would put you at eight and three, which means that you're probably looking pretty good there going into conference play. You win your bye games, and you split the shootout in the Houston game. You go five and one in those six games leading into conference play, all at the Cintas Center, and you have to be feeling pretty good about yourself. But we did have a 70-second conversation that I I clipped. I'm not going to force people to go back and listen to it, but it was a 70-second clip from the show where you and I went back and forth on whether Xavier would win all of their bye games the rest of the way. They had four at the time going into that show last week. And we both said that, yes, they'll go 4-0. But I did ask the question, you know, why are we sitting here having even having this? Why are we even entertaining this? Well, it's because of what happened on Monday night. And I said, look, I wouldn't be surprised if one of these teams snuck up on Xavier and, and clipped a win. And that's what happened on Monday. And, and credit to Oakland, like they came out, they played well, Horizon League team that won again tonight, beat Detroit. Um, so tough one, yeah, tough we- one for Xavier. But 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 the other thing too, and the, and the last note that I'm going to say is Oakland right now is – 126 on Ken Palm. That is like 40 spots better than Georgetown and like 60 spots better than DePaul. It, it's crazy looking at the structure of where that game would fall in the Big East and the fact that Xavier has four Big East games worse than Oakland, but that's just the optics of it still doesn't add up. Yeah. And quite frankly, I don't think it's as much about the by game loss. Like everybody wants to point to that. Oh, it's inexcusable. That's everyone, every fan's favorite word when things don't go their team's way. Right. It's inexcusable that that happened. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. I I really don't know, but like that, the whole optics thing, isn't what I would be worried about of you lost a buy game. Those things happen. Like you talked about, sometimes you're up by 15, you quit playing with any type of focus. you let a game slip away from you. These things occur. The concern I would have as a Xavier fan right now is the point you made at the top, which is 
this was a one or two possession game pretty much the whole way. Oakland either had the lead or they were right there nip and tuck with Xavier. And Oakland had a player in Trey Townsend. who's a 6'6", 6'7"-ish forward, has some strength, not really a good athlete, has some skill, but not an outside shooter. Xavier had zero answers for him. He scored 28 points, and he did whatever he wanted against four straight Xavier defenders. They kept switching. They couldn't find an answer. So my concern, if I'm a Xavier fan, would not be so much about we lost a bye game and that's inexcusable. It would be, is that a mirage? Was that a fluke performance? Was that a bad game for this team? Or is that a real issue for this team because they're just not talented enough? Because the reason we had the conversation last week about could this team potentially lose a bye game is because their their lack of talent. They have bi-level players, quite honestly, when it comes to the transfer portal right now with some of the Conference USA guys they added. And some of the younger guys have not stepped up to the point of being able to be impact players just yet. I think it's in there. I think they will be at some point in their careers. But to this point, they're just not ready to win games for you, especially close games against veteran teams and players who have a mission on their mind like Trey Townsend did. So that was really my big takeaway from the Oakland loss. It was... Can you actually fix the issues that happened in that game? Was it a fluke or is this team's lack of ability to to guard in the front court and this team's lack of overall talent a real concern for not just Oakland, but for the rest of the bye games and the DePauls, the Georgetowns, the Seton Halls, the Providences, the lower half of the Big East? Can can you beat those teams or is this going to be a problem all year? And again, going back, to the Oakland game and, and not to, to dwell on this too much because I think by the time that this podcast comes out on Thursday morning every single person listening to this will have already digested what happened on Monday night and, and trying to move on and look ahead to the Houston game but to put some context into this this was the third high level game that Oakland had played this year they played Ohio State they played Illinois it played Drake too, for what it's worth. That's a top 100 team. But you know, when you when you think Drake, they're doing that in their M- MTE. It's not the same as playing Ohio State and Illinois. They led Ohio State and Illinois with 10 minutes to go in the game. And in fact, against Illinois, the Fighting Illini needed a 22 to eight run in the last 10 minutes to win that game and kind of pull away. And the, the score was deceiving there. And they led Ohio State with nine minutes to go. The difference, as Sean pointed out on the coaches show last night at Dilly, the difference is that where all three teams came down to that final media timeout and closed the game, Oakland was able to make the winning plays at the end and take advantage of the lapses that Xavier had in the final couple of minutes, whereas Ohio State and Illinois didn't have that. But Oakland had those teams in position. I thought it was kind of interesting where you're looking at the Oakland sideline, and I had a video of the final shot, just in case anything crazy had happened. And it almost did when the ball went off the rim, but I was up in the the media bunker. I always, after the last uh, on court promotion, I always go up to the media bunker with, with you and, and Adam and Shelby just to kind of watch the last 10 minutes of the game and get a better perspective of it. And being up there, I, I took a video of the court shot. And I thought one of the interesting things from that video was Oakland not really celebrating. They went immediately to the handshake line. This was not a team that felt like, oh, man, we just climbed the mountain and went to a Big East school and won this huge game. They posted a locker room video. Yeah, they were pouring some water on Greg Campy, but it didn't feel like it was this monumental upset. They were a team with some experienced players, you know, Rocket Watts, Trey Townsend. Um, I'm forgetting the three-point shooter's name, but I mean, probably yeah, one of the Bulky. best. 
Jack Olkey, that's right. One of the best three-point shooters in the country. Like This was a team that came in, believed they could win, had been in position to win against two high major teams in their first two games of the season, but this time on the road was able to finish it off. Xavier just couldn't make the plays at the end. Xavier had the chances, got that stop when they needed with a, a less than a minute left. Dalen Swain just forgot to close out his man. Offensive rebound, that, that was really what kind of led to the end of the game. Yeah, well, there were a couple things there, and I do think that's an issue that might be more fixable. The end-of-game scenarios, because one yeah. thing that this team has that some of the more recent teams, Xavier teams, hasn't, is they have Desmond Claude. They know who the ball's going to in end-of-game situations. They know on offense what they're trying to do, I think. And we'll see how it all works when they get into those situations more often, if he's able to come through for them. But I think they know what they're going to try to accomplish when they have the ball in end-of-game scenarios. What happened in this game, though, where they screwed up was, one, you had the, uh, I think it was Davion threw that ball completely out of bounds to nobody, which was just a silly mistake to make. You had the missed box out by Dalen Swain that led to the extra shot, which was very costly. And then the other one was Desmond Claude, your most experienced, and I put that in air quotes because he's only a sophomore who didn't play a ton of minutes last year. Your best player was guarding Trey Townsend, who was a forward, and it's not a position he's probably used to being in is guarding a, a really aggressive offensive rebounder. Shot goes up, and he started to turn and look like he was going back to like for an outlet or back on offense and let Trey Townsend go right in front of him. By the time he remembered, he tried to get back in the play, and he's just not big or strong enough to force Trey Townsend out of there. Trey Townsend gets an and one stick back, and that was also in the final two minutes. So that's three plays we just named right there. That turnover, the mixed box out by Dalen, and then the mixed box mixed box missed box out by Desmond Claude that all three led to huge huge turning points in the final two minutes of the game and ultimately cost them those are things that I do think can be fixed like Desmond Claude can figure out okay if I'm guarding the best player on the court I've got to box him out I can be big big enough tough enough athletic enough to not make that mistake again Dalen Swain after he had to go through that film session the next day after that Oakland loss and he watched how embarrassing that looked for him to start running two or three feet away from his man as the ball bounced right back into the corner to Rocket Watts, who he had been guarding. I mean, that's those are the types of things that are burned in your memory as a young player. So I think in those instances, they can get better. My big concern is the front court defense, like we talked about against Trey Townsend. That was the biggest takeaway from the game for me is that looks like a real issue. Yeah, and especially going into Big East play where you have Ryan Kalkbrenner, Bryce Hopkins, Donovan Klingon, all these, just to name a few, you could go down the list, Eric Dixon, you could, I could spend this whole show going on about the Big East front court. <laughs> You're going to have to deal with that in less than a month. Well, like in last year, you know, Xavier, I think uh, Charles Bronson, the great Charles Bronson posted on the message board that Xavier was second to last in points per possession allowed on post-ups last season, the last place team was Louisville, which is never Louisville, excuse me, is which is never a position you want to find yourself in as being one spot above last year's Louisville team. Yeah. And, and, and so I, like last year though, you had a situation where it's like, yeah, Zach would struggle when he was in there and Jack Nungy might struggle against the post when he was in there, but you could stagger them with Jerome Hunter and put him at the forward. And now at least Jerome Hunter could guard whoever the best front court player was. And the other front, whether it be Jack or Zach, that's uh, staggered with him can guard whoever their lesser front court player is. And you don't have as big of an issue this year. 
I mean, that was, I, look, I love the Horizon League. I love Oakland. I, I, I think they're going to be good this year. But that's two Horizon League big men that completely dominated Xavier's front court on that end. It wasn't just Trey Townsend beating Gitas or beating Desmond later on in the game. It was, they were doing the same thing to Abu. They were doing the same thing to Sasha at the center position. And so that's where, you if you don't have one guy in the front court that can defend someone, if both of your front court spots are a huge weakness on the defensive end, that's where I don't know, like, how, how do you get better at that? How do you improve from that? And if it's if it's just physical strength and just being incompetent and not being talented enough, can you improve from that? And I, I genuinely don't have a good answer to that right now. And that's what I'm most curious to watch as we go forward with the Xavier team. And for Abu, I, you you may call me crazy. I didn't think Abu played that badly when he was able to be on the court. When he was actually when he was on the court in the ten seconds he was in the game, he didn't play that badly. He was very efficient, but he just can't stay on the court because every time somebody comes in and and drives on him or posts him up, he's defending with his hands instead of defending with his body, and then it's just an immediate foul. Yeah, I mean, if you can't defend without fouling, you can't defend either. So, like, you're no better yeah. than the other. You know, I mean, like, I agree with you. The physical toughness from Abu is better. And he's had some moments offensively that are quite honestly. Offensively more so was what I was what I meant. Yeah. yeah. And he's been better, quite honestly, than I expected on the offensive end to this point. I didn't know how much he'd be able to give them. He's been a fairly efficient finisher in, in the post when he's had his opportunities. But if you can't guard without fouling, you can't you definitely can't be the starting big man for this team and quite honestly that's what they need him to be yeah so now all of a sudden you look forward and you have Houston coming to town uh, on Friday night Houston doesn't necessarily have a ton of height but man they have a ton of size you look at the the roster and just the weight of these Houston players I don't I think it's one player is listed at under 200 pounds. That's um, Malik Wilson uh, of players that really see a lot of action. Ryan Elvin also, but he doesn't see very much action at all. I mean, he, he's 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 a bench player. Um, he Ryan has seen I think maybe six minutes this year. So I'm I'm talking of guys that actually get on the court and play. You're looking at 200, 205, 200, 205, 235, 205, 210, 240, 230. I mean. These are some big guys that are coming to Cintas on Friday. And the the Xavier fans that watched the game on Monday night and wanted Xavier to double the posts, wanted to trap, wanted to bring the help, wanted to do the things that Sean Miller talked about both after the game and then in his coaches show the next night saying he was frustrated that, yeah, we didn't make any of those adjustments. We didn't do those. Maybe we should have, but we also haven't practiced them on one one side of the coin, you say, okay, you you don't want to put yourself at a disadvantage by trying to do something when you don't know if you can execute it at a point where you can't lose the game. But on the other hand, I always say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, it was completely broke, and they didn't really try to fix it. And I can see both angles at that, but I, I know you wrote a whole post on the message board about it too. Yeah, and, and a, a 
you know, I'm not going to try to remember what all I've said on the different shows now because we do Rebound Rundown. I talked to Trey Scotty a little <laughs> bit about this. I did the Skinny Podcast. So if you're hearing me re- re-say some of these things. just I feel like the, with the amount of me. things that we do and the amount of times you just throw a microphone in front of the two of us, I feel so bad sometimes if I'm repeating things because I just never know on what show, where I am, or what I say where. So go ahead. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. I just lost my, tra- my, my train of thought. Can you... Uh, I- I, I'm see I'm the worst. Refresh me I'm here. Sorry, Rick. Yeah, no, I was talking about I was talking about uh, what Xavier's able to do defensively in the post and like yep. bringing the bringing the help, bringing the double. That post you wrote the other day. Yeah. So the the um the double team in the post was a big talking point afterwards, and I you know a lot of fans saw them double team. I think they actually did it three times based on what I saw. There may have been a few more, but I saw three times when I was rewatching really quickly. Two, where it worked successfully, and Sean Miller talked about both of those. Uh, I think it was Trey Green um, yep. in his in his coach's show. He mentioned that, you know, we did it and it worked out okay. Maybe we should have done it more, do it that way. Uh, but there was another time where they went down and doubled the post, and it led to an immediate kickout three. And I think that's some of the stuff that fans don't quite understand is this isn't CYO basketball. It's not as simple as you got him, he's got him, he's got him, and then, uh, okay, we're going to yeah. run this double team or we're going to run a box and one at a guy. That's just not how it works because there's lots of actions that these teams are all familiar with, and a coach will immediately see you're doing something, and it's like, okay, we're going to run this action because they're exploited on this side, and boom, boom, two passes later, wide open three or wide open dunk, right? And so that's that's what you're seeing from a, a chess match standpoint between the two coaches. There's also the standpoint of all these fans are like, well, you lost the game anyways. Why didn't you try something else? Well, again, like we talked about, Xavier wasn't down by 15 in this game. They weren't down by 10. I mean, you said it was broke. It was, but they're also right there in a one-possession game. At some point, you're just hoping, well, maybe if we put Des Claude on him, Des Claude can hold serve. This guy will cool down a little bit. He's not going to make every mid-range jumper he takes, and we'll go on our run, and we'll win the game. I mean, you again, think about this from a, a real like detached standpoint. You're talking about guys making millions of dollars to coach college basketball. Every win counts. They're not just going to give away a game because it's like, well, let's just see if doubling the post works in this one, you know? And maybe that's not the way it should be looked at. Maybe there's something to be said for try more things, break more things, go faster, mix it up a little bit more, and just give teams different looks. Maybe coaches, uh, other coaches have different philosophies on that. I will tell you, most coaches I've been around, most coaches I talk to, they feel the way Sean Miller feels in that situation. They're not just going to randomly start deploying a new strategy that they haven't really worked with and uh, say, well, Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. We'll see what happens over the next five possessions. Like if you go back to the Washington game, Xavier tried his own in that game. They went to his own for two or three possessions. Those were the two of the three threes or two of the four threes that Washington did all game. And it ended up costing Xavier the game, quite honestly. It was a it was a swing that was a turning point in the game. And Xavier really never got back after they gave up those two threes. And those all happened because they went zone for a couple of possessions because they just wanted to mix it up. So th- that's yeah. a very real way of looking at it, too, that I don't think a lot of fans understand. Now, the other part of this is how could you possibly be this far in the season and you haven't been able to work on something like a post trap or a double team, right? I'm sure a lot of fans are thinking that all these hours that you guys spend, not just at real practice once September hits, but you had all those summer hours where you were doing workouts on court and installing stuff. You didn't get to this. Well, here's one thing you got to remember about Xavier's team this year. They had three international prospects right before the start of the season, right before they walked in to those September preseason practices where normally you're ramping up and you're adding more detail and you're installing more things, those guys were all at square one. 
and maybe less than a normal square one because they're also learning verbiage and uh, needing translations for just American um, culture. You know, I mean, just different things that we say that we don't even think about. And they're like, wait, what does what does that even mean? I'm not sure. It's just a, a slight thing that's different. That um, and They're all running the same stuff for the most part, but maybe it's not called the same thing or it's not the same term isn't used whatever country yeah. they came from. So I think that's a real issue with this team's, I don't know if it's an issue, but it's a real concern for this team's makeup in the early going is that they really haven't had a ton of time to install all of these things. Yeah, and now here you are on November 29th and you're thinking to yourself, okay, we're seven games into the season about to play one of the best teams in the country, the best team in the country by Ken Palm. Um, this is This Houston team... I don't know if they are by the metrics they are, but you look at last year's Houston team and you look at this year's Houston team and they lost a lot, but they're still right there. And now all of a sudden you're going to be thrown in the fire. And whether you want to argue that last year's Houston team was better than this year's Houston team, I think you could probably win that argument, but (laughs) the computers, I they're number one on Ken Palm right now for a reason. And the majority of that that reason, Rick is because teams just straight up, are not scoring against them. I mean, the point totals against Houston this year, 31, 50, 48, 49, 66, 55, 44. They have yet to allow more than 66 points in a game. They play low possession games. They grind it out. It's slow. And yeah, they're the number one defensive team in the country. But oh, by the way, they're the 11th best offensive team in the country. It's not like they can't go out there and score a bunch of points either. This is not your your Villanova who's going to play at a snail's pace and win a game 50 to 45 and be content with it. This is a Houston team that can go out and like Ken Palm has Houston right now as a six point favorite on Friday night, 73 to 67 projected final score. It's not, it's not a UVA Villanova type team like that from that sense. This is a, Hey, we can go out and, and play some, play some offense here this year too well the addition of lj crier from baylor has really been huge for them because he's he's their leading scorer right now but he's giving them another shooter on the perimeter and i think that's really helped open up some of that offense like you're talking about allowed them to be more efficient even if they want to grind it out and play slower and then defensively that's where they are better than last year no doubt in my mind i've never seen a team like this defensively so far i mean maybe they'll they'll cool off maybe some teams will start to crack it a little bit more but their effort their length, I mean, you already listed all their weight, so you know they're they're strong, they're physically tough, uh, but the length and effort that they play with, it's amazing. And Trey Scotty and I did a video breakdown uh, today. It's, it's on the site right now at Musketeer Report. If you want to go and look a little bit of a preview of what they're going to try to do on ball screens, a lot of times they will trap ball screens, and that's where they're really at their best, and they're really screwing up a lot of opposing offenses. And, like, you know, we've talked a lot about Xavier's flow offense, how great that was for him last year, and how successful – the system is at times, even this year, even without the best talent, you might not be able to run any of that stuff because it's basically a ball screen offense. You might not be able to run any of that if they're trapping ball screens because you may just be like, this is putting us in bad situations. So it'll be very interesting to see how Xavier's able to handle that. Davion McKnight's going to have his handful handling against their pressure. And then Trey Green, when he gets into the game, it's really going to be interesting to see at 5'10 or whatever he is, 5'9", how he deals with all their length and pressure. Yeah. 
So, and again, it's not to say that Houston over the last few years hasn't scored. I mean, they are the last three, four seasons. They've been a top 15 offensive team in the country too. I'm just saying that you see the pace and you see that defensive metric and you think to yourself, oh, oh my God, Rick. Oh my God, Rick. I'm so sorry. I don't mean to distract the show. Oh my God. Do we have you, a Georgetown I, I'm begging, Rick. I I've been I have been locked into this show the entire time. I what look happened? up at the last second. Merrimack misses a free throw. They, they missed the free throw on purpose, and they had four putbacks as time expired and missed them all. Wide oh. open putbacks as time expired to tie the game and send it to overtime. Wide open putbacks, missed them all. Hoyas win by two. Oh Come my on, god, Merrimack. Merrimack blew it. Their their bench. What a what a disaster for Mary Mack. Hoyas I survived. expected more of the Warriors. <laughs> the war the Warriors were right there. They fought to the end. Executed the missed free throw perfectly. Anyway, okay, yeah, Houston. I I just I it, you see this this metric where their tempo is you know in the three thirties, three forties, whatever it is, and you're thinking, okay, it's it's going to be this slow kind of boring game. And it, it might be from a Xavier perspective if they can't figure out quite simply how to put the ball in the basket. This is going to be one of the most challenging games that you will watch a Xavier team simply figure out how to score the basketball on Friday night. Yeah, I guess if you're asking me, how does Xavier do it? If Xavier, if we're doing some live show because Xavier happened to pull off the upset of all upsets this season and they beat Houston on Friday night and we get back online at 1 a.m. or whatever it is to talk to the people live. What are we going to be saying that Xavier did to overcome Houston? That's where I have the most trouble when I look at this game is it's like, what can you do against this team that's going to work that you've shown to be able to do already at this point? And it's like, I mean, I just... I don't know from a Xavier perspective. I really don't. It's like Houston, it's, you know, you you may want to think, well, okay, maybe you can spread them out a little bit. If they're really pressuring the ball like that, you'll be able to shoot some threes. Buddy, teams are shooting under 28% from three against them. Like, it's just the pressure on the perimeter and how hard they play and how long they are. They cover everything out there. So uh, to answer that question, I'm not real sure. I think it's going to come down to this. You have to play incredible defense. And you have to rebound the ball on the defensive end like there's no tomorrow. If you take care of that, you you completely take away their second chance opportunities. And you're just tougher than you've been to this point in the season. You're tough in the paint. Maybe you can find a way to hang in a low scoring game. And then it just becomes a shootout at the end. You got to make some shots. I think that's the path for Xavier uh, because I don't really see much else that looks like a clear path to victory. It's funny sitting here and having this conversation about this game because for as well as it felt like Xavier played in that Purdue game and then you come back against Washington and and you just don't play well at all, and especially in the second half. And then you rebound, you play really well against St. Mary's, uh, but then it doesn't go so well against Oakland and you lose. I have no idea what to expect from this team. I have a pretty good idea of what I think is going to happen but I have no idea what kind of a Xavier team will come out of that locker room on Friday night. And if we're sitting here at 1 a.m. saying oh, Xavier won a 63 to 59 game 
uh, made some free throws at the end, and Houston really just went cold in the last 12 minutes. Couldn't get a shot to fall. Xavier rebounded well, and you know Trey Green hit a couple of threes. Quincy Oliveri got hot from three and hit four or five. Xavier wins, you know, somewhere in the mid to high 60s. I, then I'm just buckled in for the season. Whatever happens, happens, and you're just you you, bu- you buckle up and you just ride the roller coaster the rest of the way because I who knows who knows. Well, I mean, I think. E- your point is actually a really good one about not knowing which Xavier team you're going to get. Cause uh, this is typical. We all do this with all teams, but even more so maybe with this Xavier team, because there is so much variance, there's so much uncertainty around them where it's like, you know, they lose to Purdue by 12. And I saw fans being like, all right, this team's going to be great. This is way better than I expected that things are going really well. And then the next game, they lose to Washington by three. And I don't know if they played that much worse in that game. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't, but fans are like, Oh no. Like this, this is a disaster. <laughs> and then you have the St. Mary's game. It, look, oh, that's pretty good. St. Mary's was supposed to be good this year. They're not playing well right now, but we'll take it. Maybe this team is better than we thought. Then the Bryant win with 100 points. It's like, all right, this team's rolling. They're, they're going to be geared up for the shootout. And then you have the Oakland game, and people are right back to like, oh, this team's terrible. It's going to be a long year. So yeah. I do think there the, the, the truth is somewhere in between all of that. I do think this team is better than they showed against Oakland. Um, there were legit concerns raised in that game that we already touched on, and we'll keep watching those as we go. But I don't think it's insane to think that like they have a performance against Houston that is similar to the one they had against Purdue, and this game is at home, whereas Purdue was on the road. I mean, you could find yourself in a five-point game against Houston, I think. I'm not, I'm not predicting that. I'm not expecting it. But if you do then don't you feel a whole lot better about this team than you do sitting here tonight coming off a, a loss to Oakland? If they're within yeah. five points at the under four media timeout, I think you're like, okay, this team is going to be competitive in the Big East. Yeah, but and that's the thing, because part of it is wondering what team is going to come out of the locker room as far as toughness, which is kind of a hard thing to digest when it's a Sean Miller coach team because that's not something that we've ever really had to question before but because of what he's trying to build and instill in this team it is something that we have to question this year just because of this roster and who these guys are right now but the other thing is we don't know what to expect from a production level on the court of what players are able to stay on the court because of foul trouble and particularly Abu Usman, if he goes out there and and is able to play 29 minutes because he didn't pick up two fouls in the first two wars of the game, then that changes the whole dynamic of what you're able to do because you're keeping one of your better post players on the court. If he commits two fouls in the first war, you're sitting there shaking your head. Yeah, and, and I mean, quite honestly, I don't think Xavier's winning this game because of their post play. I mean... Because of their post play from a toughness and rebounding standpoint, yes. But on the yes. offensive end, it's like you're going to need Desmond Claude to be great. Quincy Oliveri is going to have to make some shots. Maybe Trey Green or Dalen Swain step up like you talked about. Um, that, that's definitely going to be the case. I, I don't think you're going to play through your bigs against this Houston team and, and score a bunch inside. Even though, like we talked about, they don't have a traditional as much of a traditional post presence. They like to play a smaller lineup. That smaller lineup includes a bunch of dudes who are like 225 pounds and seven foot wingspans. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's not, not exactly an ideal circumstance. All right, Rick, we've covered a lot of ground here in the last half hour. Um, I think between what we've talked about with the Houston game and what you put up already on the site with uh, Trey Scotty, I don't think there are many stones left unturned on 
uh, what to expect on Friday at the Centos Center. Is there anything else, um, any Black Friday sales, any uh, news in recruiting, any anything that we haven't talked about? Um, as I always say, news notes and nuggets. Anything here at the at the end of the show to kind of hit on? Yeah, no, thank you to uh, all the new subscribers who did sign up during the Black Friday, Cyber Monday, whatever, Small Business Saturday sale. Uh, <laughs> it, I appreciate all of that. Um, look forward to, we did the video breakdown with Trey Scotty. We're going to be doing some more good stuff with him coming up here soon. But I think uh, really in terms of the recruiting stuff, we're kind of waiting to get, you, you have this weird situation for next year's class because you potentially have Zach Fremantle and Jerome Hunter coming back next year. And I say potentially only because, I mean, there is some level of uncertainty given these guys age and the unique circumstances of everything. But right now the plan is for both of them to be back. So you already have Jonathan Powell committed. You have those two guys. So it's a little bit slow in terms of recruiting news for 2024. They are starting to get into some 2025 guys that they'll have on campus. And, and we'll continue to cover that as, as we move closer to the holiday season and some of those visits ramp up. But um, aside from that, no, I mean, this is just, I think the Houston game is, is big from a how you feel about this team standpoint going into Big East play. Um, and maybe not Big East play, but going into the rest of this homestand. And then you got to win the bye games against Delaware and Winthrop. And uh, we'll talk about that shootout when we come back next time, Paul. Yeah, we have a lot of thoughts on the Crosstown shootout. Obviously, that's one of... Uh, one of the the most fun episodes that we do. I always like the schedule preview and the in the season preview, and then the week leading into the shootout. Those are two of the best shows that we do every year. Um, that'll be so. Xavier plays Tuesday. Rick and I are going to plan to try and record at some point either after that game on Tuesday night, maybe sometime before NKU plays on Wednesday. We're not sure yet, um, but we will record a, a shootout preview next week. So plenty of coverage coming there. The one thing I would say on, on tonight's show is just that it feels like the shootout this year, maybe more so in the last four or five years, that this one, this one's got some juice to it. Even though the, it's not like the teams are ranked, quite honestly, I don't know if either of these teams are tournament teams, but this one has some juice because there is a more level playing field than there has been in the last four years. Um, and I know, okay, look, I know last year it ended up being a one or two point game, but that was also a blowout for the vast majority of the game and, and Xavier just couldn't close it out. But this year leading into the game, you know, I don't want to spoil all of next week's episode, but this one has a lot of intrigue to it. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what it is for the first time in however long you see fans actually think they're going to win. That hasn't been the case of previous years. Whether they said it or not before the game, they didn't actually think they had the better team and were going to win. This year, UC fans genuinely believe they're going to win. And I think for the first time in a long time, Xavier fans are actually worried about potentially losing the game. So I feel like that's where the increased energy and emotion is coming from for this year's shootout. I'll just say it right now for the Enquirer. Don't do it. Whoever's waiting on that storyline that's going to write that this year is the year that they the shootout lost its luster again don't do it this isn't the year to write that column i promise you it's going to be one of the more exciting shootouts from a fan perspective there's going to be way more trash talk this year than there is in typical years especially if uc actually finds a way to win one so uh don't don't sleep on that enquire trust me this, this is not the year for lost the luster. this is it's not the year at all because if you think about what's on the line and now here we go we've just evolved into next week's show but I mean, hey, it's it's fine. You pull the string. I'll talk about that game all day long. I you just there's so much intrigue to it because Xavier loses a bye game on Monday night to Oakland. 
and Cincinnati fans are dancing all over. There's tweets all over. The trash talk is going back and forth. And then less than 24 hours later, they almost lose. Now, I don't even think that would have been a bye game because that's a home and home. That's so I don't even think I, I don't even think Rothstein could have done the tweet, even though Howard was one of the worst teams that Cincinnati will play this year. Uh, that's a home and home. Howard will come back to fifth third next year. So now all of a sudden, less than 24 hours later, Cincinnati, they do avoid the upset loss. But whereas I think a lot of Xavier fans probably have watched the first five or six Cincinnati games, um, or maybe, maybe you haven't, maybe you don't pay any attention to the, to Cincinnati. I don't know, but I feel like Xavier hands probably do. And you see Aziz Bandago come onto this team and what he does in his first game. And he, and he looks the part and all this, and then you go and you put that performance up against Howard. And now you're thinking, okay, hold on. It's tough to win on the road in college basketball. And oh, by the way, where is that game this year? I mean, if you look at just the three biggest factors of this game, the on-court talent, the coaching, and the home court advantage, Xavier has two of the three, but the one that might be the most important, the on-court talent, that one you'd, I guess, at least leave up in the air right now. And uh, I think that's why this game next Saturday the 9th has maybe the most intrigue, at least to me, that it's had since 20. 17 maybe i don't know am i underselling that because 18 cincinnati had a better team it was a blowout win at uc and xavier's won everyone since so am i am i wrong in saying that 20 i know the covid year that was a close spread but maybe i'm maybe i'm kind of forgetting the storylines i'm i'm worthless when it comes to remembering like which specific year was which specific game unless we're talking about the brawl that's like the only one that's i can i can remember instantly it was like that's the year it happened um so yeah, like you said, we're going to talk plenty more about this game. Yeah, I won't go any more than to it. But let me also add one other thing that I thought was cool this week. Um, a lot of people with the Spotify year in review stuff are tweeting out that they've been listening. Rebound rundown, Musketeer report, Skinny podcast, all that stuff. I'm going to retweet every one of those. I just I think that's a great thing that Spotify does from social media perspective, and I think it's really cool that any of you one take the time out to listen to us, but then two would also retweet that graphic and, and show some love. So uh, thank you for all of you that have done that already. I. I genuinely, it's like one of those cool things where it's a little bit of an uplifting thing to see, oh, you listen to us for a thousand minutes or whatever this year. It's a, it's a pretty cool thing. So so thank you for sending those out. Yeah, and and I would say the same thing, you know, with the rundown. I, I know a lot of people um, listen to the re- rebound. Right, it's, it's cool when I hear people at CentOS or wherever I am around the city and somebody comes up and says, hey, you know, you get me to work every morning when I'm listening to a five-minute podcast and being able to do this with you uh, every week, Rick, it's been a lot of fun and kind of getting to ex- help expand my audience and help you with this show for the last two. You know, we, we've been doing this for two and a half years now. Hard to believe it. Isn't it? Like, I know it feels like Tino just went up to the big, the big heaven in the sky. RIP Tino. just yesterday. RIP. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been, it's been a good year. It, it, let me, let me ask you this. Just a final thought. Do people just not listen to music in December? Why do we get the Spotify wrapped in the last week of November every year? <laughs> I think I assume that so you have enough time to like, you know, before because if we get to the holidays, then people aren't going to be tweeting. That's like I think it's a good time to get the social media out and share it. That's my guess. So I get, I just don't turn my phone on. I just I just don't listen to Spotify for the next because if you look at the year, it's like January to November. They December just gets thrown to the wind. December is a great month. December listening doesn't count, Paul. Apparently, that doesn't That's count. That's the rules of podcast. 
All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with a Crosstown Shootout preview and uh, a recap of what happened on Friday and Tuesday. Xavier plays Houston on Friday night. That's at the Cintas Center. That's at 6.30 on FS1. Uh, and then Xavier plays against Delaware on Tuesday. That's also at 6.30 on FS1. Both home games. Xavier at home until they go back to the Big East. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time on the Musketeer Report podcast.